the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Richard Robertson, and this is Life in Colorado. I'm privileged today to have as my guest Timothy Kruger, who's the Artistic Director of St. Martin's Chamber Choir. And welcome to the show, Tim. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about St. Martin's, how it got started. Right. Well, when I was in my teens and 20s, I was a professional singer, as well as uh, studying musicology at university, which is the, the academic side of music. And I had sung in a couple of professional choirs, both in the U.K. and here in the U.S. And I thought, you know, I think Colorado needs a professional choir. That, that is a choir where, the, where all the singers are paid, just like in a professional orchestra. And I felt that Denver had come of age, that it had the sort of cultural maturity, let's say, to be able to support such an, an enterprise. And so I had many professional singer friends through through other jobs I'd had. So I collected them together and said, here's what I'd like to do. Obviously, I can't pay you for the first year or two, mm-hmm. but let's get the thing going. And then let's uh, collect a board of directors and let's, and let's go the nonprofit route. And uh, so within three years, we were paying singers. And now we're 20 20- – 26 years in. The St. Martins, tell us the history of that oh, name. Well, how uh, it got that name. Yes. Our very first concert was in St. Martin's Chapel at St. John's Episcopal Cathedral mm-hmm. on Capitol Hill. And th- this was our very first concert. We just put the group together. I was speaking to the dean of the cathedral, and he said, what's the name of your group? And I said, oh, we haven't come up with one yet. And he said, well, why don't you call them St. Martin's Singers? <laughs> and I, I thought, well, maybe. And so I thought, thought it through, and then I thought, well, we'll just try it. We'll, we'll try St. Martin's Chamber Choir instead of Singers. Uh, chamber meaning a smallish group. And it stuck. So that's, that's how that came about. Okay. So it had its origins actually the, at the cathedral. Then, Correct. Then you moved. St. Andrews Episcopal right. Church. Right. I, I have to confess to our listeners that I have a, a sort of a long 
history with St. Martin's myself because when we met 20, oh my heavens, Tim, yeah, 20, 20, almost 25 years ago, yeah, exactly. uh, St. Martin's was brand new. Mm-hmm. You guys had been in existence for a year. Yep. And I remember that we would go and sing even songs. Mm-hmm. We offered our services to Episcopal parishes to sing even song. Yep. You've come a long way. Well, many gray hairs to attest to. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing because your assessment was right. Now, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you were the first yes. professional choir yep. in, in Colorado. I have since learned that there were that there was an attempt to create one in 1980s. It was called the Classic Chorale. Jerry Lipinski, who is now deceased, tried it out and for for a few years made a go of it, but it just didn't work out, so it folded. Mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of that when I started, but you're right. I suppose I'm kind of proud of the fact that uh, St. Martin's was not only the first that that survived, but now there are three or four, and many of my singers sing for several of them, and so I feel like I'm providing employment, as it were, for professional singers so that they can sing in two or three professional choirs and Mm -hmm. then maybe sing at a church on a Sunday morning for pay. And that makes us a world-class city when you have the infrastructure right. there to support the employment of, of, such a, um, of such an esoteric group as professional singers. A lot's happened in 25 years in Denver. I mean, yeah. all the way around. Yep. And I think as our city has grown, that uh, your efforts sort of grew with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So yeah. And it's not – from that point of view, you could clearly say it's not just completely up to my own talents, but that it was timed well. It just happened to be the right thing at the right time. And the right person. Well, one hopes. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have quite a bit of outreach programs not with schools, mm-hmm. public schools, the universities around the mm-hmm. Denver area, as well as some other activities. Tell us a little bit about that. One of the members of our staff is an education and outreach specialist, and and she's crafted quite a number of different programs for various educational levels. So she'll take a quartet of our singers into an elementary school, for instance, and they'll do a little workshop with an elementary school choir. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, very basic things, What you know where to look, how to open your mouth, right? Uh, those sorts of things. I mean, nothing terribly complex and nothing that they haven't already heard from their own teacher. But to hear it from an outside source, you know, it's like, right. oh, hey, my teacher, she must not be coming out of left field after all. <laughs> she actually knows what she's she talking actually, about. <laughs> right, exactly. And so we do about six to eight of those elementary school workshops a year. And that's by invitation of a teacher, and we get grants so that, that they can be free oh, to, good. to the teachers so that they don't have to try to find money in their budget. And then we also have something that we call a residency, and it happens to be at North High School, oh, which okay. is on Spear. And there we have several singers come in and do private lessons with with high school students uh, and sort of coaching sort of things in the music program there at the high school. And the choir director there is very enthusiastic about having us there. In fact, she's the second one that we've had since we've been in residence at uh, North High School. But So several times a semester we have a group of students who go in and instead of choir practice that day, they do private coaching sort of things like that. So, So that's a little more 
more hands-on, and it we spread that out amongst these singers. Is the teacher there, is she sort of instrumental in getting you hooked up with students that she thinks would benefit from exactly. this? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. She, okay. she has identified that. You know, I think through the semester she identifies students who would benefit from some more intensive uh, mm-hmm. uh, sort of training. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she's able to then fit them up with the right teacher. Okay. Yeah. You have programs with at Metro too, where yes. you teach as right, well. Exactly. I'm a part-time faculty member at Metro State University, and we have a relationship there with the choir. We have two singing interns per year, so mm-hmm. so we bring somebody from their top choir to sing in one or more of our concerts during the season, so that they can see a professional organization from the inside and sort of see what's expected of them. Mm-hmm. At, at a truly professional level. So that's one of the things that I really enjoy the most because they get to be a part of the full professional choir for one one set of concerts. And they usually leave feeling like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. And several of them, because this has been growing for about six or seven years, several of them have decided after that to become music majors at university and have already gone through the program and oh, then great. have a bachelor's degree now and they become music teachers. Or I've had several of them get in touch with me and say, now I'm teaching at a high school on the West Slope and I just wanted to tell you how important that particular experience was for for me to determine my career path. Did they sing the whole season with you or just... No, just one set of concerts. Oh, just one set of concerts. Okay. And then finally, we have a graduate school program Mm -hmm. where for a whole season... We have a conducting intern who is a master's candidate in choral conducting at DU or CU or UNC. Okay. We've had all three. And they serve for the whole year. And they get some podium time in concerts mm-hmm. and, and in rehearsals. We encourage them to come to board meetings and committee meetings so that they can see what a professional arts organization looks like at its nuts and bolts level, n- not just at the glorified level of the concert. Right. And uh, so we feel that that's a, a very good program for a young up-and-coming conductor who wants to move into that field. Now, do you give him, he or she, feedback? Mm -hmm. Yes. I try not to do too much, let's say, uh, hands-on conducting teaching because they have a conducting at the university, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to undercut or say things (laughs) that are opposite to what their conductor is saying. I do offer advice. I do – we do talk about the pieces that I assign to them Mm -hmm. and uh, what what their – what their interpretation of the piece is, what what they're after in their performance, and I try to help them hone that. The choir has quite a, a public outreach with mm-hmm. these programs. Yes. So you're giving back something besides just the wonderful music that right. you do on a, on a regular basis. Yeah. Tim, what goes into planning a program? I mean, and maybe even a season. Right. Um, what do you do uh, when you go through that process? Right. Well, it's usually years in the planning. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, here we are in late 2019. I'm 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 planning the 2020 2021 season. Okay. Right about now. Quite a bit of it comes from when I encounter a piece that I really want to do that I either hear at a 
at a choral conference, some other choir do, or that I discover a score of. And in fact, being a musicologist, one of my one of my great pleasures is to is to sort of unearth previously sort of a neglected work. And so I'm constantly going through old scores online and in libraries mm-hmm. and all over the place. And when I find something that looks promising, I sort of file it away and say, okay, I might build a concert around this piece at some point. Okay. And uh, who knows how many years it may take before that one will appear. But right about now, as I'm looking towards a season that will start in about a year's time, we do six concerts hats a year, so I'm starting to formulate themes mm-hmm. for these particular concerts that are usually based around around pieces that I want to do, or, or I also love narrative concerts. I love mm-hmm. concerts that have a sort of a narrative arc that, okay. that, that the audience can sort of follow along. For instance, our Christmas concert this year, this December, is called The Twelve Days of Christmas and Narrative of Carols. And so I have 12 sort of what I'm going to call days, but uh-huh. are sort of stations. The first one is the Annunciation, when the angel comes mm-hmm. to Mary and says, you're going to have a child. And then comes the visitation when she visits her sister, her cousin, Elizabeth. And then comes the trip to Bethlehem. And then there's a scene of the animals at the manger, etc. And okay. so 12 of these sort of scenes. And so the whole concert is a sort of a narrative of the Christmas story. And, you know, one thing that's always impressed me over the years is not only do you do a big chunk of the standard literature, you have unusual things from ages past and also new music from composers. Do they come to you and offer their pieces? I, I would say I get at least one or two emails a week. From a composer oh, wow. who says, I'd like you to be aware of my new piece or whatever. Mm-hmm. And these are from around the world. Some of them are local, and I really like to pay attention more to local people. But I do get emails and uh, and even snail mails, packages full of scores that, that say, oh, wow. I'm a young composer living in Scotland or whatever. Mm-hmm. And here's a piece I just composed for such and such choir, and I would, I would be honored if you do the American premiere or something. I, I suspect that they found the choir's website online. Right. Oh, oh, here's a professional choir that would be up to the task of my new tough work. I hadn't realized that, that you get that much new. Yeah. But, you know, as a composer, I imagine they're seeking out those, kind, especially exactly. a, a fine group like you have.
we are just in the final stages, for instance, of completing a, uh, a CD for the brilliant classics label, which is a UK label called Music for Etar and Choir. And we're collaborating with the University of Colorado classical etarist Icolos Pera on three pieces, one of which is a well-known work within that particular genre called Romancero Etano for classical etar and chorus. But we actually commissioned one piece for this CD mm-hmm. uh, from an Italian composer named Niccolo Campogrande. So that piece is on there, and that's a world premiere. And then there's another piece, uh, also by an Italian composer, that although written in 2009, has not yet been performed because it's so hard. So I think that that's one of those cases where the composer who has been wanting to have this piece premiered has been on the lookout for choirs that he thinks are capable, that he thinks are capable, and so he heard of heard of us and mm-hmm. heard of this and so he then contacted me and submitted it and and it I liked it a lot even though it was really hard okay with all the stuff that comes through the mail uh, and offers do do you guys ever commission pieces? I mean, regularly? I know you said you commissioned right. that one. Not regularly, but I would say about every other year or so, we will actually ask somebody to write a piece for us. Usually local composers. Terry Schlenker mm-hmm. is an example. Uh, there's an, another young up-and-coming composer named Brian Osbach, who is from here, but he's currently in Lincoln, Nebraska, doing a master's in composition. But I love his stuff. In order to help his career, we'll say, hey, I'm planning a concert in two years on such and such a mm-hmm. theme. Here's a text. Would you be interested in setting this to music for a small fee? You know, So we do that about once every other year where we ask a composer to write something for us. I think that's so important because not only to preserve and maintain the great classics, mm-hmm. but, but to keep music a living thing as well that is not just a museum piece but it's something that's that's ongoing and continues to be created all the time yep the last weekend of the month, you have a, a concert coming up. Tell us about that. The, Two concerts, actually. <laughs> in fact, yes, Saturday and Sunday. But the ch- chamber choir is about 24 singers. Mm-hmm. Um, and 24 is a small group for a choir. But right. that they're all professionals, so it, so it works well. But once a year, we expand the choir and add about 40 auditioned volunteers. And we call those the festival singers. Usually we start our season out with a concert for the festival Mm -hmm. singers. And in fact, that's the case this season. Our first concert of this uh, 2019-2020 season features the Dvorak Mass in D. Mm -hmm. Dvorak being a Czech uh, composer of the Romantic era. And uh, he originally wrote this mass for organ, although he later orchestrated it. And it's more well-known in an orchestrated version. But I'm quite excited to be doing the original version. I'm not sure if this version um, gets performed all that often. I don't think it does. I mean, I think by and large, people know it through the orchestral version. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I just happened to run onto it through the organ version because where I play, we've done that mass. Right. One tune after another. Exactly. You can't beat it. <laughs> exactly. Dvorak was a master oh, of, my of, heavens. Of, of melody. So uh, what else are you doing on the program? 
In the first half, the uh, chamber singers alone, so the 24 singers, are performing a few part songs by Fanny Mendelssohn. Oh, okay. She was Felix Mendelssohn's older sister. Here's a story I find kind of interesting. Fanny and Felix had the same music teachers as children who happened to be acquainted with the great Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, uh, sometimes called the German Shakespeare. Uh, So he wanted to introduce these child prodigies to the great Goethe. So he wrote a letter uh, saying, could I bring them to see you? And he especially touted, uh, touted Fanny as the great talent of the two. Of course, now Felix is the one who's uh, remembered. You know, one wonders why why hasn't she had the same sort of uh, worldly recognition as her younger brother? And I, th- I think there's a couple of reasons. One, she didn't write any big flagship works like symphonies or piano concertos. Right. But also, I think the sexism of the 19th century, right. you know, that that, uh, that just said women don't make good musicians and, and they're not composers, right. you know. Right. And, and so she was sort of poo-pooed from the start. And that, that went back a long exactly. way. I mean, it's, it, it's too bad because you hear those works mm-hmm. and you think – Wow, if circumstances have been different. So is it just the Fanny Mendelssohn or? No, and then we're doing one work by by Felix Mendelssohn and one work by Grieg. And those latter two will be conducted by our conducting intern who happens to be a graduate student at DU now. Now, where are these concerts going to be? On Saturday night, the 28th, we will be at Bethany Lutheran Church down on Hamden. Okay. Hamden and Happy Canyon or Holly, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And that's at 7.30 p.m. And then on Sunday afternoon, the 29th at 3 p.m., we will be at Montview Presbyterian Church in the Park Hill neighborhood. Okay, great. Yeah. Now, how do people reach you? If people are interested in St. Martin's Chamber Choir and they want to uh, buy tickets to either a concert or a season, mm-hmm. uh, how, how would they reach you? best way would be to go through our website, it's kind of a long address, so bear with me. www.stmartinschamberchoir.org, and that's okay. S-T-M-A-R-T-I-N-S, okay. and then Chamber Choir, all one word, mm-hmm. .org. Or to call the office, and that's 303-298-1970. Well, thank you, Tim, for introducing our audience to St. Martin's Chamber Choir, and I know I'm looking forward to the program. Thank you, Tim, for being with us in Life in Colorado. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah.